This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to The Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Julian McKenzie. Uh, taking over for uh, Ian Mendez, who normally does the intro stuff. He's not here uh, because I think he needed a listening session for himself with that new Nicki Minaj album that came out over the weekend. He's a very big Nicki Minaj fan, so he needs that time for himself. So Mark Lazarus uh, is joining me uh, for the next little while to talk all things hockey. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I am sitting here in the passenger seat of my car in an off-site parking lot at O'Hare using a mobile hotspot to connect to this. So fingers crossed this isn't a total disaster. Oh, there, there's no way this could ever be a disaster. It's an episode with you and me. I mean, like, what, we're going to complain about something? I'm, I'm sure there will be some dad joke somewhere. Nothing can go wrong. No, there's no way. I'm sure a Simpsons reference will be made at some point. over. Dude, the I literally just made one the sentence before you said that. It went That's right over your head. It, it actually did. I was probably speaking over it. It's, <laughs> wow. One thing has already gone wrong on the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, Jesse Granger will join us uh, later on in the show. Uh, I should mention, uh, because our bosses are telling us this, uh, you know, obviously we got the show. We got the mailbag coming up later. Uh, our best of content for 2023. You're starting to see a lot of year-end stuff from all these places, including us. Uh, we will have our best of content out one week from today. Look out for best content for articles, podcasts that could come out, uh, not could come out, will come out uh, one week from today. So be on the lookout for that. Maybe you'll come up in one, uh, Mark. I just want to say you said the word content three times there and I died every single time. That is is the worst word in journalism is the word content. (laughs) You have against the C word, Mark. We got to get our content on as many surfaces as we possibly can so readers can consume them. Oh, it drives me nuts. They're stories and people read them. They're stories. Okay. Well, well, how about this? Hashtag the first content. thing I wanted to bring up in terms of stories uh, for today's <laughs> episode of uh, the Athletic Hockey Show is a great story you wrote with uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman called Could Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard Forge the NHL's Next Great rivalry the reason why you are in a parking lot right now at the airport is because you'll be making your way to edmonton to watch connor mcdavid play connor bedard on tuesday and this is our first opportunity to try to build up a connor versus connor rivalry i I love what you did with dnb and i love the fact that you guys were able to get some perspectives from both chicago players and edmonton players can you take us through that story can you take us through the idea that you know a connor versus connor thing in the national hockey league. How did this come together? You got the floor. Tell me about this. Well, I mean, I think everyone's always looking for the next Sid and Ovi, right? Where everyone wants to see who's going to be the next Crosby Ovechkin. Now that was a, a very unusual situation where they came up the same time uh, because of the, 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 the lockout. They actually came up the same time. They didn't like each other at all, which is unusual yeah. in the NHL among star players. And they played in the playoffs seemingly every year because they were rivals. They were, you know, they were geographical rivals. They were, uh, mutual hate rivals, and there were elite talent rivals. And we're, we've always kind of been looking for the next one of those. Now, Bedard and McDavid aren't exactly contemporaries. I mean, Bedard's 18. McDavid is, I think, 26. I mean, right in the prime of his career. Uh, you know, McDavid is the present and Bedard is the future. They don't exactly line up. And, um, you know, the Oilers championship window is theoretically now. The Blackhawks aren't even thinking about the playoffs for three and a, three or four years. So it might be a challenge. But you know, these are this is the two most hyped prospects we've seen since Sidney Crosby, right? McDavid and Bedard were hyped to a level that you know Alexi Lafreniere was never hyped at, that uh, yeah. Nail Yakupov was never hyped at. These are these are different level guys uh, in, in the hype. So you wonder, can these two forge a rivalry just based on sheer awesomeness, right? You know, they're very different players. Like Connor Bedard, I asked him about. You know, he's always talking about how he watches great players. He's like, yeah, I watch McDavid, but you can't take anything from him because what he does out there is ridiculous. It's just silly. He's too fast. Like, Bedard is not that kind of a skater. Bedard's the shot. McDavid's the moves and the the skating. They're very different players. But when it comes down to it, they are uniquely gifted, super high-end, hyper-competitive, big-name stars in important markets. You know, Edmonton, you know, Americans might laugh, but that's an important market for the NHL especially since McDavid got there. 
Uh, it, it's got the potential to be a big deal going forward. It's two Western Conference teams. You know, maybe they start seeing each other in the playoffs. I think that's the best case scenario. And if not, you're still going to get excited every time the two Connors are on the ice together because, you know, you just don't get to see that. Every I, I, Look, I've been doing this job for 12 years. Every time I get to see McDavid, it's exciting to me. And I yep. think that people are looking at Bedard right now. You know, in Canada, I know that McDavid Matthews is a big deal. I hate to break it to you. Nobody down here cares about that matchup. Doesn't really carry much weight down here. But Bedard being in Chicago, maybe that's the one that really catches the public's attention. You bring up geography, and you, you know it's a shame that, for geography's sake, Connor Bedard doesn't play in Vancouver. Because if you had right. Vancouver versus Edmonton as the foundation of this, you already have a natural, born-in sort of rivalry where you have Canadian teams who might not like each other anyway, and then you have the present versus the future. It would just be so much easier to do. And you bring up a really important point with the fact that people in the States don't really care that much about a McDavid versus Matthew situation. We're talking about a player who is on his way to being the next best great American player behind Patrick yeah. Kane. Patrick Kane probably has that title right now. Austin Matthews should be the next person in waiting, but because he plays in the Canadian market, Edmonton Toronto is just not sexy which, for which, American let me, viewers. Let me for clarify. American people. Right. Yeah, and let me clarify that I'm not like saying that they, they are right to think that. It's sad that Americans can't get excited about Canadian hockey teams. It's just a matter of fact. They there should. are very few of us that will like, like I'll watch the hell out of an Oilers Leafs game, but most of my uh, countrymen are not. But for whatever reason, it seems like in terms of marketing, Edmonton, Chicago is an easier play or, or could be a better play to get casual fans in compared to an Edmonton Toronto. It's just fascinating to me. Right. I mean, you look at, you know, Bedard is since he came into the NHL a couple of months ago, he's, you know, been on the Pat McAfee show. He's all over ESPN to a degree that he wouldn't be. Like you say, it'd be great if you were in Vancouver. The NHL would strongly disagree, and it's no no mark against Vancouver. You can't have Matthews, McDavid, and Bedard all in Canada. That would be a marketing nightmare for the NHL because of what I just said, because Americans care about American teams for the most part. Um, you know, the fact that he's in Chicago and not, you know, Anaheim or Columbus, the fact that he's in one of the biggest markets in the league really matters here in terms of marketing. I, I, I thought it was great that TNT had a, uh, who did they have? They had uh, the Panthers against the Stars as their national game of the week last week. That's awesome. We never get to see teams like that. Because you always see Chicago and Boston and Washington and Pittsburgh. It's the same teams over and over and over. So the fact that Bedard's in Chicago just means he's going to be on more people's minds because Chicago is a bigger deal in the NHL because of what happened over the last 15 years. Good point. I, I hope we get to a point where we don't have to think about a big market being the play for everyone to get to get everyone to watch and people could just enjoy teams as they are. Like, like the NFL, right? The NFL, the can you put like a Kansas City Green Bay matchup. Those are two small towns for the most part, relative to New York and LA. And yeah. they'll get 40 million viewers because it's football, right? I mean, that's what that's the dream scenario for hockey is that Dallas, Florida is just as good as seeing New York, Boston. Of course, Kansas City, Green Bay has the whole fact of, you know, Taylor Swift. There's a there's a chance you might get a Taylor Swift sighting. And I, I know that to your point, Kansas City, Green Bay would have been a more appealing or, or would have been a very viewable option well before Taylor Swift existed. Yeah, but it doesn't hurt. The Taylor Swift stuff doesn't hurt. No. Do we need a Crosby Ovechkin like follow up? Do we need that for the yeah, league? Is that something that's do. essential? I mean, Why? essential isn't. I mean, it's not like the league's going to fold. If there's not, but you ask casual sports fans about the NHL, they know Crosby and they know Ovechkin and they know they played against each other a bunch. Like they know that's a big deal. Whereas I'm not sure how many people could pick Connor McDavid out of a lineup among casual American sports fans. And look, again, I, I, I don't mean to be dismissive of Canada. We know we've got you. Canada's on board. Canada's in. We're, you're good. It's, it, if we're going to grow the game, it has to grow south of the border. And the fact of the matter is your average person who really loves football and maybe the NBA and barely pays attention to hockey has heard the name Connor McDavid, but would have absolutely no ability to pick him out of a lineup. And that's why having stars in bigger American markets helps because they'll, I guarantee you in two years, they'll know who Connor Bedard, what, who he is and what he looks like. That's just the way it works in American sports. Uh, before I move on to the next topic, Crosby Ovechkin, I just want to ask this one question. Did you ever find yourself in either of those two camps? Like when, when Crosby Ovechkin were at their, like, you know, in vogue in the 2000s, I was still able to be a fan. I was watching games. 
I found myself in the Ovechkin camp because I just loved the personality. I loved how energetic he was and the goals. They were everything. But of course, Sidney Crosby, Canadian-born player, can do everything. You could do a top 10 of his highlights that have nothing to do with yeah. goals. Seeing seeing the puck go through his 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 legs and and taking a pass at mock speed before finishing off a play the play uh, in the playoffs against Jason Spezza where he's ringing around behind the net before sitting up I think it was Chris Letang in the playoffs like he he has plays he has at least like what two or three goals where he scored from the seat of his pants like there are people in the NHL who have like one or two goals Sidney Crosby <laughs> has found a way to do that from a particular point on the ice more than anyone more than a bunch of people have with scoring goals like you could do so much with Sidney Crosby. I'm just curious from your vantage point, were you team Ovechkin or were you team Crosby growing up? You know, it's a great question. I haven't really thought about it, but now that I'm thinking about it, when I was younger, I liked Ovechkin. I liked the big showy goals. I liked the big person. I liked that he ran guys over. And I, you know, I I would buy into the, oh, Crosby whines too much narrative and yada, yada, yada. But as I've gotten older and as I've been around the league more, I've gained such an appreciation for everything about Sidney Crosby. And it is, like you said, it's not just the goals. He's an amazing goal scorer. It's not just the assist. He's an amazing passer. It's not just that he plays Selkie caliber defense and he's getting better with age, his all-around game. It's the way he handles himself off the ice, the way he's always available to reporters, the way he's always available to the community, the way he interacts with kids when there's no cameras around. I mean, I think it was Josh Yoey did a big story on that last year of what Crosby is like behind the scenes and how genuine he is. And I think all the people that kind of naturally were adverse to liking Crosby because A, we were sick of Pittsburgh having the best player in the world. Uh, B, he just kind of seemed like, I don't know, whiny and soft. I think everyone now has such a greater appreciation of what he is as a player and as a person. So I think the older I get, the more I, I get. I'm, I'm grateful that we still get to watch Sidney Crosby. Not only that, but he's still amazing. He's still he, we take Sidney Crosby for granted. He's he is probably the third or fourth best player in NHL history at this point, and we don't treat him like that. We don't we take him for granted. We don't think of him that way. He's incredible, and he's going to be incredible for a few more years here. That's what's ridiculous. That's why Pittsburgh did what they did, getting Eric Carlson to try to take advantage of that window. I think yeah, that worked out. Uh, uh, I mean, well, at least at the start, it's it's not looking good. It's not looking good. It's not looking good, Mark. Um, great job with Daniel Nugent Bowman on that story. Could Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard forge the NHL's next great rivalry? You can read that at the athletic right now. Um, before we get to an ad break, I want to talk about, uh, some, uh, news from the NHL's department of player safety, uh, Eric Goodbranson and David Perron coming up, uh, for the, uh, NHL's dops, uh, this weekend over some various incidents. I believe, uh, Eric Goodbranson his instance with uh, with Nick Cousins, he got gets uh, gets uh, he gets hit by Nick Cousins, and then he responds by grappling with him. There's going to be a hearing for Goodbranson that's over the phone. David Perron cross checks Artem Zub from the Ottawa Senators, and that unfortunately happened during a very scary moment involving Dylan Larkin. Uh, David Perron will have an is is supposed to have an in person hearing, so there is the option that he could get more than five games. Uh, for those particular instances, uh, did you see what happened in both of those both of those cases? Do you think the Dops uh, got it right when it came to, at least for the hearings that we're seeing both players get? How do you feel about that? You know, I'm frustrated because we're not talking about the dangerous hits that caused the retaliation. We're just talking about the retaliation. We're, you, we're not, you know, Nick Cousins turtled, and you can't punch a guy when he's turtling. That's the rule. So, yeah, God Branson deserves what he's going to get. And, you know, David Perron went nuts and he hit the wrong guy. And yeah. like, he, he deserves what he's going to get. Like, those are obvious, you know, crossing the line retaliation moves. But why aren't we talking about the boarding from Nick Cousins? Why aren't we talking about Joseph, you know, kind of two-handing Dylan Larkin in the back of the head? You know, why, why everyone's like, oh, that was just a hockey play. That wasn't a hockey play. Why, why do we accept that cross-checking dudes in the back and in the head are, is okay when it's done in the crease? Like, why have we not graduated past that? A head hit's a head hit. And freaking Dylan Larkin, that was terrifying. The way he collapsed, the way he was motionless, his arms kind of like, it was almost like the fencing motion, but face down. So he couldn't do the fencing motion. That was, he was out. He was out cold in like a horrifying position. And not, what didn't they downgrade it from a major to a minor? They looked at the review and said, oh, it wasn't that bad. Like, this (laughs) is like, give Perone and Gud Branson what they deserve. Yes. You cannot, you know, a player is not obliged to fight you. So the fact that Nick Cousins went down 
and turtled, he's allowed to do that. You can make fun of him all you want or whatever it is you want to do. He is not obliged. It is not legal to fight a guy who doesn't want to fight. So give out those suspensions that are surely coming. Maybe by the time we're doing this uh, podcast, they might come through because it's going to happen. They both got hearings. But we're not talking about, what about the Vander Kane? Dangerous, dangerous hit that he had on, uh, on who is it? Jonas Brodeen. So we've got two really nasty looking boarding plays, one by Cousins, one by Vander Kane. And we've got, um, you know, even if it looked kind of innocuous, if you knock someone out, you hit them pretty hard in the back of the head on Joseph. And we're not talking about any of those three guys. We're talking about the guys that, quote unquote, stood up for their teammates and all that. Or, you know, in Gud Branson's case, stood up for himself. That, that's what's frustrating here is there should be a lot more than two suspensions going around. We got to get these boarding plays out of the league. They are so dangerous. These guys are so big, so strong, so fast. I mean, you could really do some long-term damage to a person when you're hitting them between the numbers along the boards like that. And stop cross-checking people in the head. It's not yeah. allowed. Even in the crease, that's not supposed to be allowed. Why officials allow it and have allowed it forever is it's beyond me. We, we've seen Andrew Maggiapani earlier this season get suspended for a cross-check in the back of the neck. And I know yeah. he got a match penalty after that happened, but he got another game after that. Here's my beef with the Nick Cousins boarding instance here. It's one thing to make the initial contact that he did. And you see Good Branson and his head veer towards the boards. And already that looks like a scary play. It's the fact that he makes that initial contact and then he kind of like turns his body into Good Branson to kind of just basically close up the gap between Good Branson's face and the board. That's what's scary to me about that play. And like you, you can't have that in the game. You need contact in order for the sport to thrive. That's part of the game. It's always going to be a part of the game. But for Nick Cousins to do what he did and to just full on make that hit worse, I don't think that should be allowed. I don't think you should be hitting a guy like that and then basically turning yourself into him to 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 smother him along the boards. I don't think that's a safe idea. Yeah, Not at least if you're going to put him in that vulnerable position. Right. Neither of us is saying to take physicality out of the game. I know people are like, oh, you're soft. You're making the game soft. That's not right. what this is. There's a difference between an open eye shoulder to chest hit from a guy who had his head down or put himself in a vulnerable position than there is of smearing a guy's face along the glass at yes. full speed when you're a 200-pound wrecking ball of a human being. That's a different thing. We don't want guys to get hurt. And, you know, the Gud Branson one, This I, I don't know if I've seen this brought up, What's the concussion spotter doing there? He went, Gud Branson went down and he was down for like seven, eight seconds. And then he just like magically popped up. It was like, was he waiting? I don't know if he was waiting for a whistle. Or he was like milking it or what. But then he popped up and went after the guy. Shouldn't he have been pulled off the ice to, for a concussion test after that? If, you know, after you get hit like that and you do get your face smeared along the boards, it seems rarer and rarer these days that we see guys involuntary pulled off the ice by the concussion spotters. We used to see that happen a fair bit when it first was initiated. And, and I don't think we're doing much to protect these guys in almost any sense of the word. The suspensions don't protect them. The, the, the way the hits are called don't protect them. The concussion spotters aren't protecting them. You know, these people are worth a lot of money. They're not worth Shohei money, but they're worth a lot of money. And you think that they would want to uh, protect them a little bit more, but we just seem to make the rules like more and more lax and put guys in more and more danger. I don't understand. All right, back at it here. Uh, on the Athletic Hockey Show with Mark Lazarus, Julie McKenzie here. Before we get to the mailbag, John Tavares of the Toronto Maple Leafs, two points away from 1,000 of the Toronto Maple Leafs play tonight. Man, I got to say, bringing up this topic, I mean, John Tavares is a great player, and him reaching the 1,000-point mark would be notable for us to do. We especially have to bring this up because the Toronto Maple Leafs are playing the New York Islanders tonight, and the idea that he could get two points to reach a thousand against the team that drafted him and has some lingering feelings over his exit would be very delicious in Elmont too, right? The game is out on the Island, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Good God. Oh man. I, I would love to know <laughs> your thoughts on this tantalizing possibility that All John right. Tavares could reach a thousand points against the New York Islander faithful. Okay. I, I, I got to qualify this. That I yes. am uniquely prepared to answer this question. I grew up an Islanders fan. That's I am exactly from Long Island. I am from Long Island. Uh, those are my people. I do not disavow them. Sometimes they make me want to, but those are my people, and I was one of them. So I do. I I, I stand by them. 
Um, this is this is for 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 unbiased observers, this is absolute best case scenario. For yes. John Tavares, this is the nightmare scenario, right? Like like a thousand points is a huge deal. He if this happened uh, almost any other, like if Patrick Kane had a milestone and he came back in a hated Red Wings uniform and he got a mile, like his 500th goal or whatever it is, it would be like a 20 minute standing ovation in Chicago. Nobody he, now, now granted, he was kind of pushed out. He didn't just abandon the team, which Tavares, you know, did to New York. I get that. But Islanders fans are built differently. There's an inferiority complex that I know all too well. I'm a Mets fan. I grew up an Islanders fan, a Knicks fan. Like, why would you do that to yourself? I, I, I had the Giants. I had four Super Bowls from the Giants. I was set. <laughs> it's there's there, there's something unique about the Islanders fan DNA that they went through. I don't think people, especially like younger fans who uh, who might have come into the league in the last 10, 15, 20 years, understand just how pathetic an organization the Islanders were from the late eighties until. I don't know, five years ago. <laughs> like this is the, like whatever you thought of the Clippers, whatever the Blackhawks were in the early 2000s, the Islanders were worse. They had Mike Milbury as their GM and they were just trading players left and right, giving out the worst contracts, 15 years to Rick DiPietro, 10 years to Alexi Yashin, just always making the wrong moves, always trading the wrong guy for the wrong prospect. They sold their team to a guy who didn't have any money. I was waiting look, for you to bring look him up, up John Spano. If you don't know the John story of Spano. John Spano, watch Isn't the 30 for 30. 30 on it. Yep, it was a great one. Too. Like I remember watching that. I'm like, I remember that edition of Newsday. I remember reading that exact story. Like, like it was wild. Like the most pathetic organization. And everybody, they were playing in a rink that was just, I love Nassau Coliseum. I grew up in Nassau Coliseum. I miss it to this day. I was so excited when I got to go back and go to one more game there when they went back after leaving Brooklyn and before the yeah. UBS arena was built. Love it. It's a shithole. It is the dumpiest <laughs> of the dumps. I once, I once, go to, we get to Nassau Coliseum a few, like five something years ago. And, uh, you know, it was me and Chris Cook and Tracy Myers on just a Blackhawks Islanders game. And I'm like bragging about the Coliseum to them. I'm like, oh man, you know, everyone always makes fun of this place, but there's not a bad seat in the house. And as I said house, I sat down and the chair broke underneath me. <laughs> Not even kidding. Ask Tracy Myers about it. It was hilarious no. and fitting. Like, this is what Islanders fans dealt with for so long. It was so bad. Oh, so when Tavares just jilted them and left them for Toronto, of all places, that leaves a scar. And I think most fan bases could get over that, but not the Islanders. They finally had a true star for the first time in decades that wasn't going to get traded, and he left. He left. So they are going to boo the shit out of him. They're going to boo and they're going to boo. They're going to throw pajamas on the ice and dumb stuff like that. Probably there's going to be, you know, bed sheets and pillowcases. Who knows what it's going to be? It's going to be unfair to Tavares, who is a grown man who's allowed to go and chase his dreams wherever he wants. You know, if you want to go get a job somewhere else, you're allowed to. I left Long Island to go to college. Doesn't make me abandoned Long Island. Look, they're going to boo him and it's going to be hilarious, but they are not like I would, I would be shocked. I would love to see a spontaneous, like, you know, they boo and boo. Like, he gets the two points. They boo and boo and boo. And then all of a sudden, the spontaneous ovation erupts. And yeah. they, like, turn face on him. That'd be amazing. I, I'm not ruling it out. But there's a lot of emotion there. Like, Islanders, New Yorkers, Long Islanders in particular, they harbor a lot. They We don't hold it in. We let it out. We we, we speak our mind and we let our feelings out. I don't know if you've Yo. noticed. That. I haven't lived on Long Island in 25 years. And I still do that. I talk with my hands, I'm a little too loud, I talk too fast, and I say more than I'm supposed to say, probably. So my, my, let, let, them, let them feel their feelings, man. They got feelings, and they're going to feel them. My, feel introdu them. my introduction to how wild Islanders fans could be was what I did, uh, a show I no longer do anymore, Zone Time, with Yahoo Sports. And we had an episode where we, I forgot why we had to pick up the Islanders, but Lou Lamorello came up and you know about that policy he has where his players can't have all this facial hair and stuff yeah. and beards and all that. And this one guy we had on the show just like tore into Lou and that ruling. I had Islanders fans in my mentions for weeks just telling me about you Toronto guy. You don't know anything, <laughs> which is fine. I'm not a Toronto guy, but they just You're like, jumped on me. yeah, exactly. But people just care to just ignore that but they just saw like four dudes and just four people just be like oh you toronto people you don't know anything john Tavares is not gonna win anything blah 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 like they just like i just Dude. felt like wow like this is crazy 
the first Islanders game at Barclays Center, the first regular season game, was against the Blackhawks. So I was there for that. And yes. they did. They, they, there's no press box there. There's because there wasn't supposed to be hockey there. So there's no hockey press box. The union, obviously, you can't sit courtside at a hockey game. So no. they they just kind of had us in the corner, like inside, like at you know a tunnel you walk through to get to the seats. They just put up a couple of tables. And that first game, they had no security for it. They didn't think about the fact that we were just going to be among the fans, which normally would be fine, I suppose. But like it was a little weird. Uh, well, some you know Islanders fan double fisting beers. He had a can in each hand. Taking oh drink, he just comes up behind me and he literally leans over and he looks over my shoulder and starts reading aloud what I've written because I got like a, I was working for the Sun Times at the time. I had a running game story going. It was like the third period. I have something at the horn. So he's reading aloud what I wrote and then he goes, "Dude, this sucks. <laughs> you suck," and he just leaves. So <laughs> those are my people. Those are my people. <laughs> He looked over your coffee. He was just like, "This dude sucks, <laughs> dude. It's you like, suck." No, no. I, oh, yeah. dude. How did you like? I mean, <laughs> you're your people, but you were you restrained yourself from turning around, and be like, "What do you go do?" Like, like you got to fight with these dudes at some point. I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> some 22 year old New York mook. It was great. Oh man, it def- you know what? Like. I don't want Islanders fans thinking that I, I dumped on them or anything like that. I've got They're no beef with you guys. I want well, no go, beef. Go, go into the no comment beef. section of any Dom story, any McIndoe oh, story. God. And it's all Islanders fans feeling disrespected. This is ingrained in them. So Tavares, of all people, brings out the brings the, that from the, the, the depths of their souls. Yeah. And it comes screaming out of them. So let them feel their feels. I get it. I understand. I have it. I have a Tavares jersey in my closet back home because my wife bought it for me uh, uh, for my birthday, like two months before I got the job covering the NHL, and was therefore <laughs> never able to actually wear it. Uh, so I, I've actually got uh, a Tavares jersey. So if anybody wants uh, it, yeah. so if you so if you were still living in Long Island right now, you'd be at that game, like throwing that jersey on the ice. You would have put that in some bonfire oh by now. I, lighter I, I, fluid. I still have my accent. I mean, it's been like I said, it's been 25 years, but I would, I would still have that. Oh my god, that accent I had as a kid. Like, oh my I talked god, Tony Soprano for some reason. He's from Jersey. I don't even know how that came about. <laughs> I would I can't be picture so- you being a bobster. Like I, like just, just turning off, just like peeling back the curtain here. I like to call Mark Lazarus the King of Shy Rack because he's the last person you would ever expect <laughs> to have that title. So to picture Mark Lazarus with some kind of Tony Soprano esque accent does not compute in my brain. It comes back when I talk to my mom uh, or when I curse a lot. Like, oh I, I, I'm incapable of cursing without slipping back into my Long Island accent. It just sounds so much better with a Long Island accent. A good F-bomb okay. with, the, with the island accent. Oh, it's good stuff. I don't know if we could get you to do F-bombs here. What I will get you to do instead is show. to help me go through these, uh, these questions we got in our mailbag. If you want to send us stuff, uh, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. We also have uh, a uh, voice. You could also send us voicemails at 845-445-8459. I want to get to this one from Dan. And this will allow us to talk about uh, Shohei Otani, who went from uh, the Los Angeles Angels oh, to the Los Toronto, Angeles. right? He's in Toronto, right? Toronto. I, I, think I hear it's Toronto. Very, I think it's a very sensitive uh, <laughs> topic for certain people. I should mention, uh, on TSN 1050 in Toronto tonight, uh, they will be talking to uh, Robert Hurjavec, the guy who was actually on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is that's producer of the year stuff right there. That is that's that awesome. is award caliber programming. Yes, they are going to talk to him uh, later tonight uh, on a network that's not our own. But anyway, uh, Dan <laughs> writes to us watching the Otani sweepstakes unfolding. Clearly, this was sent. Uh, before they unfolded and seeing last year's Cy Young winner Blake Snell taking his time why is it that so many NHL top NHL free agents sign on day one of free agency the bidding war is over by lunchtime while baseball free agents sign after a long road show exploring every option that's easy because everyone in Canada has a cottage and they want to get there like that's really honest to God that's what it comes down to is like everybody who works in the NHL is a Canadian with a cottage. I think it's given out like healthcare up there, and I'm really jealous, frankly. And, you know, they want to get this done as soon as they don't want this to drag out. 
everyone in the hockey world really treasures August. August is the month where you just vanish, where you don't have to do anything. Like in July, you still got like a prospect camp, maybe a fan convention. A, you know, there's, there's a couple things here and there. But for the most part, once you get to like mid-July through the end of August, the hockey world is closed. You can't get anybody on the phone because they're too remote. You know, you have to send like a carrier pigeon to get anybody. You know, uh, God bless Pierre LeBron every year on July 2nd. He tweets his, I'm out of here, guys. Like, I'm peace. Well, I, I, I hope to attain that status where one day I can just tweet that I'm just gone for two months. Um, it's the best. He earns it and it's the best. And I want to be able to do that. But that's what the hockey world is. Like, honestly, on July 2nd, it's over. If you're not signed by noon on July 2nd, you're going to wait a while. <laughs> I just, two things here. Uh, one, you said forget, so that New York accent just like randomly came out in your last answer, which I just I had to hold back from just laughing about. Uh, also, during your answer, I was trying to think of other guys who may have taken their time. Didn't Brad Richards? Brad Richards, there was a year he was like the big thing yeah. at free agency, and I think he at least took a weekend. There's always a few, right? I mean, there's always a handful of guys that are now. Cadre took him a month before he got signed. Yeah. But for the most part, like 95% of these moves are made on July 1st or July 2nd. That's just kind of how it goes. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's you know, there, there's like a week or two between, or, you know, where whether it's legal or not, teams are talking. I mean, you see like at noon on July 1st, all of a sudden there's like 80 releases coming from teams. Those all weren't negotiated at 12 o'clock in 01 seconds, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of this is done in advance. It's just, it's just, it's the way it's done in hockey. I love it. Rip. It's like this, it's. You know, you had everyone at the draft. I don't know. Maybe this will change now that not uh, everyone will be at the draft at the same time. I think a lot of this stuff has worked out, you know, yeah. when every agent and every GM and, and, and you know, are, is at the draft at the same time, just a few days before free agency. So maybe that'll slow things up a little bit. But it's nice. Just rip off that Band-Aid. Like, why drag it out unless you have a good reason, like you're rehabbing from an injury or you're trying to pit teams against each other? There's always going to be a few of those. But, you know, for the most part, this stuff's done by midday the second day. And it's fantastic as a writer let me tell you uh one uh, comment coming in from a uh, drill menard cap is causing it only a limited pot so everyone wants to get paid asap and it's the truth yeah he's not wrong because you know if you wait a few days teams have already spent the money they've got you know so you, you can't you know wait, waiting for more money it's not really going to work if everyone's doing that because there's only so much to go around also you mentioning that every canadian is entitled to a chalet uh, I'm jealous. Yeah, that man. gives me another reason to hate boomers even more because they clearly <laughs> skipped out on the millennials and Jed uh, Zetters after the fact. Anyway, Jed uh, Zed, that was very Canadian of you. Yes, which is very funny because we had an ad for Z Biotics earlier. And I was Do you want very, to say Zed Biotics? Yeah, I uh, see. You know what's funny? Halfway through recording that ad, I was like, should I be saying <laughs> Zed Biotics? I don't know, but I just I just went with Z because you know America. Anyway. Uh, from Sean, uh, Wings fan in Denver. Wow, that's a very unique wow. situation for you. Wow. Was he there 20 years ago? That's the question. Yeah, I, I hope he didn't get beat up outside <laughs> outside of Pepsi Center. Uh, it, I had to write about the discussion about icing on a penalty. I think it's cool that the PWHL uh, is experimenting with rules. We did get into that with Ian Mendez last week. I know less than anyone about running a sports league, but this seems really smart to make them stand out. However, I cannot understand how one would think it's a good idea to enforce icing for the team that took the penalty. So uh, essentially one of the rules that the PWHL is going to try out, and I'm just going off my memory here, uh, if you are defending a penalty, uh, you are not allowed to ice. They're, they're, they're doing, they're, they have rules. I will be called, yeah. Yeah, like they, 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 you're going to essentially have that. Uh, anyway, I can't understand how one would think it's a good idea to enforce icing for the team that took the penalty. I actually think it's an excellent part of the rule book. It's not as black and white as the team with the penalty shouldn't have an advantage. It's all about the balance. A man advantage is already huge. The chance for a, for a power play goal will be way too high. And for a two-minute minor, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. I also think it's better because it differentiates from the man advantage when a goalie is pulled. That was a I, long, long... Anyway, go ahead. He, he brings up a good point. Like I've always been yeah. in favor of the idea, but when you, when you think about, all right, well, if you take away the ability to just chuck the puck down the ice, you know, you're going to have power plays converting at like a 50, 60% rate, right? Like, yeah. is that too much? Like, I don't want it to be like a penalty in like field hockey or soccer where it's almost a guaranteed goal every time. Like, I don't think people want the, like a penalty to be, to be that, 
locked in. It's like watching the Oilers, frankly. It's like, oh, God, there's a penalty. They're going to score. Like, I don't think people want it quite to that level. Um, but I love the idea that it's experiment. Like, I, I, I want to see what, you know, baseball has, you know, tried the pitch clock in the minors before bringing up the bigger bases in the minors. They always do that. I want to see the AHL try this for a year. I want to see all, pa- all penalties be majors. I think that's the right way to goose scoring a little bit. So, you know, you get the full two minutes, no matter how many goals you score on it. I think you're, you're not going to, it's not going to make it crazy. It's not going to have like 12 to 11 games as a result of that, but you might get another goal or two per game, which is kind of what we're looking for, right? We want it to be four to three, five to four. That's the kind of game we're looking for as opposed to two to one or three to two, or that's what the NHL is looking for. Um, so I, I'd like to see that first. Um, I do. I do. I, I have always found it a little hinky that, you know, oh, we, we screwed up, but now we get this sweet advantage of just being able to chuck the puck down. There's especially, you know, if you take a penalty late in the game and you're nursing a one goal lead, I'd almost want the penalty just to be able to ice the puck. And that's the best way to kill time. Like there's, yeah. there's, a, there's an inherent advantage you get being shorthanded, which is, you know, kind of oxymoronic, but it's not, it's not wrong. Uh, I, I, you, you got to try it though. You have to try it in the ECHL and the AHL, maybe in the juniors. And that's how you see if this stuff's going to work. Just like we're seeing with fighting in the juniors where they're starting to abolish fighting in some ways. And we'll see what kind of impact that has. And if that, eventually should trickle up to the NHL. You got to you got to experiment. You can't experiment in the NHL. There's too much money on the line. But you can sure as hell experiment in the AHL. They're doing teddy bear tosses and stuff. Like it's fun down there. So so Ian brings up every time we talk about rules about the idea that if you have games involving teams who are eliminated from playoff contention, that's an ideal time to try out rules with those teams. Cuz at the end of the day, like they're not Compete for a playoff spot, but you have like a like a Chicago versus. No, you can't. You can't. You can't Santa have. Man. You can't do that because the officials will be going from like a game that with one rules, and then the next day they're doing a content. No, you can't do. It. Ian's insane. Sorry, that's that's not. You happening. know what? You know what's funny? I didn't even think about it that way. My first thought always goes to even if those teams that are out of playoff contention technically don't have anything to play for. Could you imagine? you lose out on like a, a top three guaranteed spot in the yeah. draft because you played in some game where all of a sudden the two minute minors stay for the entire time and you yeah. allow like three or four power play goals. Like how does that work? Like, look, I talk about meaningless hockey all the time. I, God knows I've covered a lot of it the last handful of years, but yeah, there's no meaning. There is no meaningless NHL game. There's too much on the line. There's jobs, money, draft positioning. There's just too much on the line to, to ever screw around with a regular season game that way. No. So, all right, cool. So I, I, we've confirmed that you're not crazy because uh, Ian seems to bring that. Oh, okay. You're not crazy in that way. In any case, uh, Mark, we appreciate you hanging out uh, for as long as you could. You got to get on that flight to Edmonton. To Denver places. first, because we lost our Jeez. direct flight to Edmonton. One of the saddest things that's happened in the last few years. Damn it. It's hard I, to get to Canada now, man. Like you, you guys are like shutting the border down here. Like, I don't know what's going on up there. You won't let us in anymore. I can't really blame you. Okay, I'm going to get out, get you out of here before any border jokes start to come up on this stream here. <laughs> Safe flight to Edmonton. Catch up with you real soon, Mark. Thanks so much, Ryan. Jesse Granger, I see you on the stream, my man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Julian? You know what, man? I cannot complain. Uh, I have to drive the show without Ian Mendez today. You know what? It is what it is. Like I've mentioned off top of the show, I think you need some time to listen to the new Nicki Minaj album. I'm pretty sure there's some other excuse, but it is what it is uh, with Ian Mendez. Uh, but uh, Jesse Granger is here with us uh, with uh, Bet MGM. Let's get to uh, some hockey talk, shall we? Teams currently out of the playoff picture. I, I know just just before you got in, I mentioned uh, the Edmonton Oilers. I know they've won seven in a row. They're technically still out of a playoff spot right now. Just pulling up the wild card standings here. Uh, the Lightning are tied for a playoff spot, but the New Jersey Devils below them. The Carolina Hurricanes would also count in this. Uh, the Calgary Flames, uh, that's the team I covered. They're kind of they're kind of in that little mid-territory, but they're also out of a playoff spot. Maybe they go on a run, they get in. Of all the teams currently out of the playoffs, which of them would you bet on them to make the playoffs? I mean, if we're going just like if we're just ignoring the odds and just saying you can have any of these teams, which one do you want? I think I'm probably taking the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, they mm, yes, they I, I I think that 
people have forgotten how good that team is. Um, they went the beginning of the season without Andre Vasilevsky. And anyone that was wondering if Andre Vasilevsky is actually the best goalie in the world or if he was just playing behind a really good team and that kind of boosted his stats, I think uh, these couple of months of hockey have proven that the, the Lightning need Vasilevsky more than he needs them. Um, and I think that to me, that's the most obvious, safest option for which teams get. Because you look at Tampa Bay, they're 27th in safe percentage right now. There are only yeah. a handful of teams worse than them in save percentage, and they're at 885. Andre Vasilevsky has never in nine years playing in the NHL. He's never finished below a 910, and that 910 only happened once. He's never finished below a 915 other than that one season. So that's basically telling you they're going to they're gonna finish in the top, not just, not just above 27th in save percentage. They're going to finish in the top 10 in the league in save percentage by the time the season's over. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, so if you tell me that a team that's already right on the cusp of the playoffs is, is going to jump that high in save percentage, um, I, to me, the, the lightning are a lock barring some unforeseen injuries, which could obviously derail any team, but, um, assuming Vasilevsky and the big, the big guns there in Tampa stay healthy, I think that team is as safe of a pick as, as you can find in terms of the teams that are just on the outside looking in. What do you think? I, I gotta say like. I, I, Tampa Bay, there's just something about that team and everything that they've endured over the last few years and the coaching and, and the players that they have. Like Nikita Kucherov is leading the league in scoring, and we have not provided nearly as much hype on, on, on that type of year that he's just having. I don't know why, but he leads the league in goals. He leads the league in points. He's seven points clear of JT Miller eight points clear of David Pasternak, just quietly going through an MVP caliber year. We have not hyped that up. Remember, you bring up the fact that th this team has had to go through all these games without Andre Vasilevsky. Where's the love for Nikita Kucherov? There's something about this team that until I literally see the wheels fall off and everything right. just, just, just be done with this team, I, I cannot count them out in any situation. So when you say that they're a lot to make the playoffs, I don't take that as a shock. They're, they're, they just have everything set together. They just need to go out there and and do it. It's just ultimately just the playoff mileage that they've endured over the last few years. That is obviously going to be a question. You see how other teams in the Eastern Conference could take advantage of that. The New York Rangers are looking as good as they are. But in a playoff series, I still have a hard time picking against Tampa Bay. Could you imagine if the Tampa Bay Lightning continue to play at the pace that they're at this year? And Boston's still good and Florida and Toronto are still good. And you have to enter the playoffs uh, as even as a top seed. You have to play Tampa as a first round opponent because they're a wild card team. Eek, like I, yeah. I do not like that. I do not like that. And and you know what's crazy is um, the sports books and the odds are not as convinced on the Lightning as as you and I are. And I don't know the listeners. If you're out there and you believe in the Lightning like I do, um, they're only minus one thirty to make the playoffs. So one hundred and thirty dollars to win one hundred dollars for the Lightning just to make the playoffs. And I like to like sometimes, the, especially if you're not a gambler, those odds oh minus one thirty. What 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 the hell does that mean? I like to look at the implied odds, which is basically just a mathematical equation of okay, so what does one thirty? What are the sports books saying? And what that means is they're saying the Lightning have a fifty six point five percent chance to make the playoffs according to that odds. So if you believe that there's a higher than 56% chance that the that the Lightning will make the playoffs, then that's a good value to bet. And to me, that's pretty crazy. I mean, 56%, that's a lot lower than I would have thought. Like you look at the implied odds for, let's look at some other teams that are, that are yes. just like you mentioned, just outside. So like New Jersey is below Tampa Bay. And, and, and has more room to make up to, to make the playoffs. They have an implied odds to make the playoffs of 73.7%, according to the sports books. They're minus 280 to make the playoffs. So heavily favored to make the playoffs, even though they're behind New Jersey. Uh, Carolina, similar. They're minus 300 and implied odds of 75, 75% to make the playoffs. And Edmonton, who you mentioned, the Red Hot Oilers, they have oh, an yeah. implied odds to make the playoffs of 79%. So almost a lock according to like it's minus 380 for the Oilers to make the playoffs and it's easy to see why they win seven in a row they they're coming off of the Western Conference final appearance or sorry second round appearance and 
I think that just the the star power on that team makes them the, the sports books are not going to let everyone get a bunch of great odds on that team to make the playoffs. But I, I do find it interesting that Tampa is so low compared to the other teams. Um, I guess maybe there's the feeling out there that they're getting old. And 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 like you said, maybe the wheels are starting to fall off. Um, the one that the, the team that really interests me in terms of the odds is Pittsburgh. Uh, not a team you mentioned, and I think not a team that that like when we think of okay, who's going to make it? That's out like Carolina and Edmonton and New Jersey are like the easy ones that they're they're in the playoffs every year. Pittsburgh, they're they're plus one forty five to make the playoffs, so it implied odds of forty percent. Um, so basically a toss up. Do, do you think this team can make the playoffs? It's pretty close to a 50 50 toss up and Dom's odds. I like to compare Dom's odds of of teams making the playoffs to the implied betting odds, and he's got them right at fifty percent. So. Um, there's more optimism with the Penguins than there are the Lightning in terms of the odds. Uh, what do you think? Do you, do you would, if you had to take one team to make the playoffs, are you taking the Penguins or the Lightning? I'm taking the Lightning. Like, but I'll say yeah. this: I felt very fifty-fifty about Pittsburgh's chances entering entering the season. Just Sidney Crosby's playing at an elite level, and it looks like he could still do that for a little while. He still has Evgeny Malkin. He still has Chris Letang. You put in Eric Carlson in the fold. You just have to hope your goaltending holds up. And that goaltending question has stymied so many playoff runs for the Pittsburgh Penguins over the last few years. They became a difficult team to trust as a result of that. So for a team like Tampa Bay, who, yeah, they went through the injury with, with Andre Vasilevsky, he's back now. We're, we have that expectation where he's going to be able to correct himself. At least that's how I see it. For the Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins, I felt like there was just questions around this team about whether or not they should even be in this position where they should be trying to just get as much as they can out of out of this core. But at the same time, Sidney Crosby at his age, of getting Malkin at their ages, playing as well as they do, like you don't just waste those years. They want to be Pittsburgh Penguins for life. You kind of have to go for it. So it's what makes it so surprising that the power play that they have with Eric Carlson has not looked good. It, it has looked awful. And 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 even so, of course, because of all those factors. Yeah, I could understand why you'd be very on the fence about putting the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs. But also, again, my, my points about the Tampa Bay Lightning, until I see everything fall off, the wagon, the carriage, the wheels, everything. John Cooper just takes his ball and he goes home and he decides he's going to be a real attorney. Like, I'm not counting these dudes out. I, I just can't do it. Like, I, I need to see everything go down. I know they lost in the first round last year. I know how it went with Toronto. I need I need more proof. I need more proof. So my answer to that question is going to be uh, I, I have more confidence in the Lightning making the playoffs. I do want to ask before we kind of flip and do the reverse and, and get you to answer about, hey, what about teams currently in playoff positions uh, that you can see falling out? I do want to get back to Edmonton just for a second, just because of the fact that they are playing as well as they've been playing. Connor McDavid has shot up the scoring rankings. It, 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 Jack Campbell's been in the minors just trying to get himself going, and they've been able to survive with Stuart Skinner and, and Calvin Pickard as their goaltending. Just from, from your vantage point with the Edmonton Oilers, like, what do you make of the fact that they've been red hot and it looks as if, and yeah, I get it, the odds were in their favor to make the playoffs in the beginning of the year, but this would be pretty astonishing for them to, to do if they make it work, right? Like for them to be at the bottom of the standings and then make it in. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, I was just looking at the goalie numbers the other day, and Stuart Skinner is still dead last in the NHL in goal saved above expected. Like, and that's Man. not like dead last out of thirty-two starters. That's dead last out of every goalie that's touched. Like, we're talking 60, 70 goalies that have played in the NHL. He is. There's no one below him. And 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 they, and yet they're they've turned this around without the goaltending completely turning around. Like they're they're just outscoring teams. And and obviously McDavid's been awesome, but. I think I guess my thoughts on the Oilers are this team is not as bad as we like they looked early in the year like that's obvious but I also think they're not as good as we thought they were going to be coming in. I still haven't completely said okay the Oilers are back they're a true Stanley Cup contender. I think that going into this year I would have probably picked them to win the Pacific over Vegas and over the Kings just because of the way they ended last year. They looked really good. I mean, I covered the playoff series against the Golden Knights. The, the Oilers were really good. They pushed Vegas by far more than any team in the playoffs. Like, they, mm -hmm. like Vegas steamrolled Florida. They steamrolled Winnipeg. They steamrolled Dallas. Edmonton was the only team to really put up a good fight against them. And I, I thought another year of, of that kind of core together, I thought Stuart Skinner was going to have a much better start to the season. So 
my ex, my, I guess my, my overall opinion of Edmonton is still lower than it was in the beginning of the year. I think they're a good team. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think they're as good as Vegas and LA. I think Vegas and LA are the class of the Pacific division. And even though the Oilers are kind of making that run and they're, they're, they're going to be like, that's a team you don't want to play in the playoffs because they're dangerous. Cause they have two guys that can single-handedly win the series. Um, if they just turn it on for four games, but I just, this team is not as complete as we thought they were they're, the The glaring weaknesses are showing up and, and they have more holes than, than I think I, I thought coming into the season. I have to agree with you there. You also make a really good point about LA uh, being the class of uh, the so Pacific good. division. They're so good. And it's not just the fact that they have those pieces all around. It's the fact that they're winning those games on the road. They're the best road team in the league. Tell you what, you know, one place in the NHL where winning on the road will serve you well, the playoffs. Because if that, because you talk about the Vegas Golden Knights being a team you don't want to play against. You talk about the Edmonton Oilers being a team you don't want to play against with those two players. The Los Angeles Kings as a road team, like they're looking like a real, I have to say, I underestimated and the Kings this year. I think part of the reason they're so good on the road, like Vegas was a really good road team last year. And I remember Bruce Cassidy constantly saying, well, we're deep. And when you're deep, road games don't really matter because you're not worried about matchups. I can put whoever, whatever line I want out there against whoever, and I'm not worried about it. Whereas maybe teams that are a little more top heavy, they need their matchups. So they need to be at home to win. You look at the center depth for LA. I mean, Kopitar, Deneau, uh, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like, are there, is there a, a three, a top three center group better than that in the NHL? Like when you've got that solid of a, of a top three centers, I think to me, that's why they're so good on the road. They, they're, they don't worry about matchups. I don't care what line you put out against my lines. We're going to beat you. So uh, yeah, the Kings are impressive. They're deep. Cam Talbot's playing out of his mind. Uh, that team is, that team's really good. Also, Quentin Byfield looks like he's arrived as well. He scored a really sick goal the other night for the LA Kings against Montreal Canadiens. 21 points in 25 games. He's already one point away from his career high in points for a season. He had 22 uh, last year with the LA Kings in 53 games. He is already one point off his career best. Anyway, the LA Kings, we get it. They're really good. Let's look at some teams that are in playoff spots right now that could fall out. Uh, looking at the Eastern Conference, seeing Philadelphia and Washington in, in, in those top three spots in the Metro, I have questions about that. The New York Islanders are tied on points with the Tampa Bay Lightning. In the East, I have questions about that. Fewer questions in the West. Nashville and Arizona are in playoff spots right now. Could they hang on to those? How do you see it, Jesse? Yeah, so the Flyers, um, I didn't include them because by points percentage, they are out right now. Um, they've just played Very more fair. games than the other teams. So the Flyers are kind of in there, and they're a surprise, and they've been better than we thought, and and they're playing a really structured – they're doing what Tortorella teams do. They they try to take the hockey out of hockey, and they win some close <laughs> games because they just don't let you do anything um, with no. with pressure and, and energy. And, and hey, a team that's not as talented, that's how you have to win, and they, they found ways to do it. So – um, they, they are better than we thought, but I, I didn't include them because they're out on points percentage. But the three that are in the playoffs right now that are, if you look at the odds, are underdogs to make the playoffs. They are plus if you are if they're they're in the playoffs right now. But if you want to bet them to make the playoffs, you still get plus money. And that's Washington, Arizona and Nashville. Mm. Um Washington's third in the Metro. Um, they've played a lot better. That's a big part of that is Charlie Lindgren has come in. And I don't even know if he's Darcy Kemper's backup anymore. Like, I guess in title he is, but Lindgren is third in the league in goal saved above expected. He's been phenomenal. And like, they're starting to play him a lot. He's got 10 starts already now. I think Kemper only has 14 or so. So they're, they're kind of 50, 50 and Lindgren's been very good. Can he keep that up? Probably not. He's 30. He hasn't been this good his whole life, and suddenly he is. Maybe he's turned a corner. Maybe he just had a hot streak. But I think um, Washington, they're, they're a team that's plus 210 to make the playoffs right now, If you and, and, and they're third place in their division. So um, the, the sports books don't expect them to, to keep that spot. And then Arizona, they cooled off a little bit after their little heater of beating all the Stanley Cup champions, which was pretty cool. Yes. But that team plays tough. I just watched them shut out the Golden Knights a few weeks ago. The, the, the Coyotes are are not an easy out every night. Like I could very easily see them sneaking into one of the last playoff spots in the West or just being a pest around the end of the season um, to the teams that are trying to make it. And then there's Nashville, who UC Saros is carrying that team on his back. He's like he's been carrying. I, I don't, yeah. But I don't I don't have much faith in them just because of 
the other teams around them in that central division. And, and I think the Pacific right now, the central has both wild card spots with Arizona and Nashville. Um, obviously we expect Edmonton to be a little better in the Pacific. I think the Pacific's going to end up getting one of those wild cards. So I don't think both Arizona and Nashville can make it of the three that are, that are underdogs to make the playoffs, despite being in it right now, Washington, Arizona, and Nashville, which one are you, do you think has the best chance of, of holding on to one of those spots? I, 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 I think it might be Arizona. I, I I thought that the Arizona Coyotes maybe needed one more year of seasoning. This might be it. This might be the year they actually make the playoffs. Uh, we talk about, we look at how good of a player Clayton Geller is, uh, but Michael Carcone has been good at five on five. Matias Michelli uh, has been getting love since last year as a rookie. They have some good pieces in Arizona. They're coached well with Andre Tourigny behind the bench. They might have it. They might have something. We could see them as buyers at the deadline and try to get some pieces yeah. that could help them make the playoffs. The Arizona Coyotes, with in spite of everything going on with the, the, the mullet arena, their future, and all of that, they might actually be putting together a really good hockey team. I don't trust the Nashville Predators. We've kind of mentioned it before. UC Soros is carrying them. For It's one thing to get hot in like March or April, and then you propel yourself to a playoff spot. To do it in from early on in the year and hope that that sticks I have questions about that. I have questions about their overall future, too, about what they really want to be in terms of, remember last year they sold at the deadline and they still almost made the playoffs. I have questions about that. The one thing for for those two teams in the West, though, I'm not sure about St. Louis as a team. That being said, Edmonton, I, I think at this point, considering what the Pacific has been looking like all year, my expectation is that they're going to find a way to take one of those two spots. And I think I'm closer to seeing the Nashville Predators fall out of a spot compared to the Arizona Coyotes. We'll see how that goes. Washington is fascinating for me because I didn't think that they were going to be a playoff team. I thought they were already outside of that playoff window. I thought we were just going to be watching games where Alexander Ovechkin was just going to chase the goal, the, the goal record, and that was it. But it's really interesting to see that Charlie Lindgren has stepped up the way that he has. I remember him in Montreal. There was just some consistency issues, but I think there were some elements of him being a good goalie that were just there. He's now seeming to put it together uh, in Washington, you know better than anybody that the development of goaltending is just it's such a weird process. It takes time before these guys can be really good. You don't expect like a 21 year old goaltender to be the guy right away. So I'm not surprised that Charlie Lindgren is actually seeing success at 30. But it's fascinating to see that in the combination of everything going on there it has resulted in them looking as good as they have to be in a playoff spot for Philadelphia. I mean, John Tortorella. You said it with the way that he kind of coaches his tactics. At the end of the day, he's trying to get teams into the playoffs. Maybe it's ahead of the schedule for for the rebuilding efforts, but I'm also not. I mean, no, I'm still pretty surprised that Philly's that good. Like, really? Like in that division? I, I yeah, that's a, that's a bit wild for me. But right. yeah, I expect you mentioned yeah. you mentioned the division, and I think that's why we've like I feel the same way. I feel like Washington and Philadelphia have a much higher chance of falling out. And I think yeah. that has more to do with the teams that are pursuing them. Like when we were talking about the teams that are out that we that we think could jump in, they were almost all in the East, right? Like it's New Jersey, it's Carolina, it's Pittsburgh, it's Tampa. There are so many teams that are really good teams that are sitting outside the playoffs that you just feel like you're going to make it. Whereas in the West, you look at Arizona and Nashville and you say, OK, well, who's chasing them? Well, the Oilers are on fire and we think they're going to make it. But how many other of those teams that are that are out of it in the West are going to make a push? And and the, right now, the answer seems like not many. So um, the, the one thing, the, the team that's interesting that's sitting atop the Central right now that is not in the that we haven't mentioned in this is Winnipeg. And I think a yeah. lot of people would not have picked Winnipeg to make the playoffs at the beginning of the year. Now. They're tied with Colorado and Dallas up there for I, I think they're tied. Last time I looked at the standings, they're right up there in atop the the central. Hellebuck is doing what Hellebuck does. He's awesome every year. That Jets team is is better than we we thought. And obviously Connor getting hurt last night is huge. And and that's how long he's out will have a huge impact on whether they can make the playoffs or not. But um, I think it's interesting that we've gone from at the beginning of the year, it was like we thought they were going to sell everyone on the whole team in the offseason. And this team's just going to be completely gone. And they kept everyone, basically. And and now they're looking like a playoff team. And I don't think anybody's like ready to say they're going to fall right out of that. Like, I think we've kind of just accepted them as a better team than we thought. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I, I remember hearing the news about Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck signing those extensions and being like, Really? Are you sure you want to do this? 
at least to start off the year, they're they're proving everybody that doing that was the right decision, at least for this year. If they find a way to hold on to this, because there was a point last year where they were the best team in Canada and they fell off in the second half of the year, they need to find a way to keep that going. Uh, but right now, they're atop the Central Division in terms of points percentage. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I see the Winnipeg Jets falling off, Jesse. It's a very fascinating conversation to have, but you bring up a really good point, too, in the East. A lot of those teams like Carolina, New Jersey, there's a lot more of them pursuing those teams in playoff positions. Man, good work today. Uh, Hank, thanks for hanging out with me these last few minutes. Uh, Jesse Granger here for Bet MGM. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thanks so much, dude. Yep, thanks for having me. Jesse Granger, there he goes. And that's going to do it for today's edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Ian Mendez should be back. Uh, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, from right now through to the end of the year, you can gift a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $19.99 or a two-year subscription for $39.99 when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Follow us on YouTube as well youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show ian and i are back tomorrow michael russo will join us as well we'll have an interview with brock besser of the vancouver canucks thanks so much for listening